Hi, welcome to this Property Life podcast. I'm Mark Winship. I'm a property investor and mentor, and each week my friends and I will be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures in property. This week, I'm talking to Dean Starr from the Cornerstone Partnership. Dean very quickly achieved financial security using property investment as a vehicle and has since dedicated himself to making a difference in the community by providing homes for the homeless and other vulnerable adults. In this episode, we hear Dean talk about how he got started in property and how he's taken the strategy of social housing to the next level with ambitious plans to make a genuine impact on the issue of homelessness in the UK. Dean is one of life's good guys, and his story will be such an inspiration to anybody who wants to make a difference through property. Let's hear now from Dean Starr. Hi, Dean. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Not too bad. Good, excellent. I've been really looking forward to uh, to speaking to you today. Um, what our listeners won't know is um, you were you were one of the people that actually inspired uh, me to start investing in property um, back five or six years ago. Um, so I've been really looking forward to getting you on the podcast. And uh, some of the deals that you were doing back then, five or six years ago, were so inspirational to me when I was just starting out and I was new to the game. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into some of that, but also I think what was reassure, reassuring to me was to find nice guys in property. And I think that might sound like a strange thing to say. And, it, and, it, and it's not that I've, um, you know, I've had any shortage of experience of, 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 of some working with some great people in property, but I think there's this negative perception in the mainstream media of kind of property investors and landlords and um, it was just great to just meet just a really genuine person who was doing quite extraordinary things in in property. So, so you were you were certainly one of the reasons that um, that we are where we are now. I think that's very kind, very kind of you to say, Mark. <laughs> Often get an introduction like that to anything I do. To be honest, that's <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Um, and so I think a logical place for us to start. Um, as much as I'm really looking forward to digging into some of those early deals and how you got started is I know a lot of our listeners are going to be fascinated by your current venture and your current project. So I wonder if you'd be able to kick us off with just talking a little bit about the Cornerstone partnership, um, what it is you do, what, what you're looking to achieve through that and just freewheel a little bit around, around what you're up to. Yeah, sure. No, fine. So, uh, so I'm currently um, one of the one of the directors and co-founders of, of Cornerstone Partnership, as you mentioned. Um, so, what are we first and foremost? We're, we're a social enterprise um, property company or landlord, basically. And I think that social enterprise thing in itself is an interesting thing to to, to put to one side for the moment, but we might come back to. Um, and ultimately, we focus on the homelessness space within within the West Midlands and Warwickshire region, um, largely, but not by complete accident, but not necessarily 100% by design, as probably most people you'll talk to that end up doing anything where they kind of get their passion sucked into something. It sort of just becomes an exploration, a bit of an experiment, and then it transforms into something that becomes more of a missional type thing. Um, And that's, that's very much what it is. So um, we provide a range of property services um, direct to local authorities within West Midlands and Warwickshire, um, also to charities, registered providers, and those working within for an umbrella term, the social housing space. Um, But really, a lot of it is in private rented sector around affordable housing for for long term rentals. Okay. Um, So if I kind of summarize it into a few key services, there's um, some temporary accommodation services that we provide. So that's sort of at the acute end of direct homelessness. And we only work with families in that space at the moment. Yeah. 
we then provide through the social enterprise route an opportunity for those families to have a long-term tenancy, um, which we cap at the local housing allowance level. So that's quite unique. That's a, what they call a social rent. And you don't see that very often in the, uh, yeah. in the marketplace. Um, we also do some affordable housing developments, the first major one of which is due to exchange any point this week or next week. Um, and then we operate an element of what we would call social lettings, but essentially it's the property management, maintenance and tenancy function that sits around those properties and those services as well. So it's kind of that end to end piece um, that takes a, a family on a journey from being sort of a street and sort of better phrase all the way through to hopefully owning their own home at some point in the future. Fantastic. I, I find now I do find that that social enterprise aspect of it fascinating, and it'd be great to just dive into that a little bit because, again, I alluded to it at the start. There's a, there's potentially a, a, a slightly negative perception of property investment as a as an industry, if you like, being quite self motivated, self centered, and um, and yet my experience has certainly been that um, there are so many great people out there. Yes, trying to build. Um, uh, an income stream for their family and a legacy for the future but in so doing also creating win-win scenarios where they can do genuine quality work within the community so it it sounds like that's a driving force for you what 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 is your what is your driver there what really got you into that space um to give him a bit of a shout out it's probably gavin who i work with so my business partner um it's that that was I'm a bit like you, Mark, in terms of we came from the same sort of place when we, we got into this. And what you're describing is very much, I guess, kind of the sort of initial introduction I had to property investment, which was, you know, create your own financial future, you know, sort yourself out. And then eventually yeah. at some point in the in the future, you'd kind of, I don't know, become a philanthropist, give it all away. And I always like that idea of having something to come back to later. Yeah. And uh, I met Gavin through, um, through, through a previous employment. And we used to work for a big, big supermarket company together. And, um, and his, his value system, his alignment was, was totally different which was why not just do all of the, of the good stuff and the helping, you know, now in kind yeah. of your best years, your prime years and do it as you go along. Yeah. And I, I like that psychology of, you know, you're going to spend 30 or 40 years in a business or in an industry doing your work. Why not? How much can you give at that point in time as opposed to kind of saving it all up to do it at the very end? And I think that that's an interesting principle. So he'd, um, he'd gone through the journey of giving one of his investment properties to a charity um, on a cost only basis. So just covering the cost of that. And it was something that you know would never have been mentioned in the in the in the circles and environments that that we we first yeah. got into property in. Yeah. And I thought there's some there's something in that. And it just was it was the right time for me to do that. So yeah. I had my you know my my basic financial security was taken care of. Yeah. And uh, and there comes a point where you think, well, how much of that do you need to do? You know, there's got to be something more motivating um, than than money, for want of a better phrase, yeah. than just making more money and doing more deals. And um, it wasn't becoming boring. Property wasn't becoming boring, but I was a bit, I'm a bit more entrepreneurial and I wanted to do different things. I wanted to offer services. I wanted to build some teams. I wanted to work with people and um, transforming from just doing deal by deal into running a business um, that gave something back just felt like a really nice step. So, yeah, absolutely. So presumably though, if, if social housing is the right umbrella term to, to describe that, that kind of strategy, presumably, um, that that still ticks a lot of boxes for you from an investment point of view, but then you're able to to off the back of that, obviously do a lot of good within the community. Is that is that yeah. kind of how you see it? 
Absolutely. So, so, so that was the, the model behind social enterprise, which was we have to have a, a function of the business that is, and the whole the, the whole principle is it's it's not really benefiting society if it's not sustainable. Yeah. Um, and and we have this uh, we have this conversation a lot between Gavin and I around the use of charities and how charities are set up and how you'll you'll come across charities that have been in existence for fifteen to twenty years, um, but they're still run by kind of the village community and they've got. You know, they're doing a few projects, a few community adventures, and you think, well, why, why aren't charities run like businesses? Because if they were much more commercially sustainable, then surely their impact could be larger. So social enterprise gives you that kind of space to, to run a sustainably, financially kind of serviceable business, um, but at the same time, make sure that it's kind of paired with something that's giving back. So, you know, financially, how we do that is provide a service that is, that is profit making, um, and we reinvest all of that profit back into a service that is loss making. And between the two, you have this kind of set of scales um, that balances out to be a housing pathway for people. And if you didn't have one engine kind of feeding the other, very difficult to operate. Now, there are ways to do that. Um, look at big housing associations. Once you get to a kind of scale and a kind of tipping point um, and within property, you'll be looking at kind of your balance sheet or your equity over time to kind of give you that comfort position. That's fine. But where are the housing associations of 2020? Where are the new housing associations? How do you go from zero to a thousand properties within 10 years? That's really hard yeah. to do now. Yeah. Um, so this is a way that we've kind of found a bit of momentum um, to use kind of different services that are traditionally looked upon as being a bit, um, a bit dark, a bit kind of, you know, well, these are kind of like profiteering. If you're running hotels for temporary accommodation, actually saying, well, why can't we do that? And equally get something really good for people and everybody else on the back as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So you must come across quite a few kind of rewarding case studies. Have, have you got an example that would bring that to life for people? You know, a, a story of potentially somebody or a family that you've helped with that model? I have. Um, I'll I'll do my best not to put names. And yeah, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's really confidential, but we've got um, a number of wonderful families, as you can imagine. Um, and once you get, it's very, uh, how do you put this? You can get quickly detached from the real world. Yeah. Um, even in just a you know, normal working environment, normal working class family, the real world for a lot of people, and you're talking millions of people in this country is, is not a nice place to be at the minute. Yeah. Um, and so you know, even small changes feel like really big wins when you hear those stories. But one that I, one that we always lean on, which is a really nice story is a story of a, of a, of a young mum who, um, unfortunately got in, involved with sort of drink and drugs and there was an, an abusive relationship um, and uh, yeah sort of relationship broke down and the, the children were taken away um, can't remember exactly but six or seven children that she had and they were taken into care and uh, she had to go through a process of essentially kind of rehabilitating herself you know, kind of getting herself back on track and uh, and eventually did that through one of the charity partners that we work with in in the west midlands um, and what was essentially stopping her from getting her children back at that time was finding a house that was big enough that she could commercially afford yeah. um, to be able to house a family of, you know, what would be seven people, six, including herself. And, uh, and we were able to do that at an affordable level because we would give her a four bedroom house at the local housing allowance rate. So there was no requirement to pay that 200 pounds a month to top it up. Yeah. Um, she became a, what we call a move on tenant. So she lives in that property on a, on a long-term tenancy agreement at that level, no requirement to pay any more towards the rent. And, uh, Children's services released all of her children back and now they're back together. And you think, if we hadn't done that, how how, how would that situation have resolved itself? Who, who else is going to offer that kind of situation? There's somebody with that history as well. And that's something we, we took on board really early was if you're going to look after client groups that, and, and you have the label vulnerable, I don't really like, like that term, but you know what I mean by that, yeah. people that maybe got some challenges. Um, if, you're going to, if you're going to look after people like that, you've got to have a wide tolerance You've got, to, you've got to operate like a business, but have the tolerance of a charity. And that is 
that's okay. a really unique place to try and be because yeah. you lead with your heart, but your head's got to make decisions too. So we, we, we enjoy that balance. Um, yeah. and it's an interesting environment to work in when you've got to strike that balance on a daily basis. Yeah, that must be quite a fine line to tread. I would imagine that impacts on your decisions on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, it does. Um, but in a, in a good way, because it's, it's challenging your values as, as a group of people. Yeah. Um, and, and you get held accountable to what you say you believe in every day. Yeah. And it's easy to stand up there and go, this is what we believe. But then when you've got daily challenges testing you to that, um, you've really got to commit to it. So, yeah, yeah. So, so how did you reach this point then? So I know a lot of people will be fascinated to understand how you got started in property and kind of what your, your, your journeys look like to bring you to that point where you're, like you said, you've got your financial security covered and you're able to look now at, um, at slightly different avenues and, and ways to use property as a vehicle to help people. So how did your property investment journey start out? So it started, um, I mean, I, I guess your listeners know, know your story, Mark, I suppose, but it started not dissimilar to yours, really, in a way. Um, I uh, was in a position where I, I came into some money. So through a pretty unfortunate event where I had a, a pretty bad injury when I was a little bit younger. Um, and, uh, and I essentially received an element of compensation for that sort of five or six years later. Um, and I would have been 23, 23, 24 at that time. Um, had just finished university and, uh, and had a little sum of money. And we're not talking massive amounts of money here, but it was, it was enough to buy you know, a couple of houses up north. Um, and I thought, what, what, do you, what do you do with money? So I'd never come yeah. from a family with money. Um, yeah. Family still had a mortgage, you know, self-employed. Dad was self-employed as a bricklayer. My mum worked in Morrison's or Safeway at the time. We weren't a money family. And uh, you just start Googling it. And Google does a wonderful thing of just catching the things you like and then going back to stuff that things you should be looking at. And one of those led me to the Martin Roberts Homes Under the Hammer um, program. And I always watched it on TV and thought, I think you, you, you think I can, can do that. Yeah. yeah. House in South Wales, 25 grand. I'll drive down there every other weekend, paint, decorate carpets, double my money. That can't be that hard. <laughs> um, so, yeah, went along to some training courses. Um, a lot like you, was really impressed with the people I met there. And, uh, and, and wanted to meet real people and was really excited that I did meet real people. Yeah. Because um, uh, I think you're right. There's a, there's a uh, uh, I don't know, a suspicion around that industry, around that sector. I've talked about this on some LinkedIn posts a lot because in the social sector where I am now, it's a difficult one yeah. um, because you get challenged on, well, how did you get started? And when you say, well, I went to a, a course about becoming a, you know, a, a private landlord. Well, that's a bit, that's a bit edgy. Yeah. And I think actually what that's done is prepared me really well to be able to build a really credible business with the right strategies, techniques, and experience to actually execute what the, what the third sector can't really execute very well. But yeah. so that's one I have to, I have to balance a lot. Um, did the training course, um, built a little strategy and, uh, and, and went on to do a couple of kind of small, what we call multi-lets then, but small HMOs now. And this yeah. was at the time where they weren't, uh, they weren't licensed. It wasn't quite as strict around the regulations. So we hit a, hit a little niche and managed to just repeat that quickly a few times. And um, yeah, got the bug for it from there, really. So what was your first property deal then? Can you talk us through that one? Yeah. It might be, though. I don't know if it's one you might have seen. I don't know if you'll remember it, Mark. It <laughs> might be inspirational ones. Um, it, was a, it was a two-bedroom terraced house in Huddersfield, um, okay. just behind the university. And it happened to be right on the street where my wife lived when she was at university, because we went to Huddersfield. Um, we did the kind of go to 10 areas, work it all out, get it down to two. And, and nine times out of 10, people end up in a town they know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened. So I ended up yeah. in a town they knew um, and, uh, and a two-bedroom house in, in Huddersfield, um, right behind the university. Um, we picked it up as a, as a repossession. 
Um, so a £69,000 house, and uh, it had been sold back in 2007 at the height of the recession for 110. Um, so I'm buying it sort of seven years later at that discounted price. So, uh, you know, sort of knowing my strategy, which was to refinance the property, recover that equity and roll it around again. Um, I was pretty much hopeful that I could get it revalued at, at least the same price as it was seven years ago. And if I could do that, I had enough equity to be able to replay the investment. Um, so I turned the two bed into a four bedroom student house. Um, rooms are renting out for sort of £90 a week, fully managed. Um, but we did invest quite a lot of physical time and effort in the first one. I think people like to do that. Yeah. I didn't do the electrics or the or any of that, but I was stripping wallpaper, you know, yeah. doing what painting I could. I just wanted to feel what it was like to yeah. try and work out how far do I want to go with this? Do I want to jack in my job and become a tradesman or can I do this passively? How's it going to work? Um, yeah, and went and went reasonably well. So got it to, got it rented out to students by September, so pretty late in the window. And we've had it ever since. Ironically, not student let anymore. Okay. I'm now rented to a housing association at the LHA rent level. Right. <laughs> and kind of, if you if you think about it, your properties have a cycle, you know, yeah. where you either reinvest money or reinvest capital, change the strategy. Yeah. And we're talking this is 2014, so it's six six and a half years ago now. Yeah. Um. And and the market has changed, and I'd also changed. Um. Yeah. Around, like I said earlier, you've got to you've got to do what you say a lot yeah. of the time. And uh, and it just felt like the student market had moved away. I could rent it out to the private sector. But if it was going to cost me 50 quid less to put it into the social sector, why not do that? Yeah. I'm in a position yeah. to do that. And it felt like the right thing to do. So all of my student properties in, in Huddersfield now are all, are all rented to social housing. So how long did it take for you to uh, to be focusing on your property business full time and, and to achieve your financial security figure mm. when you were first starting out? How long did that take? Uh, the, fi- the, the financial security figure didn't take long Um and that, 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 I think when when you might have met me, that was sometimes what people kind of go, that can't be right. But you're talking, I mean, it was a low figure. I didn't have any family. I just had me, me and my wife, then girlfriend at the time, and a couple of grand a month would comfortably cover, you know, yeah. our main commitments. Um, so I needed sort of two and a half of these student properties, really. Yeah. Um, we did four in one summer off of a small okay. pot of money users deposit. So, you know, within nine months, really, I was kind of yeah. kind of there. Um, I stayed in my job then at that point for another 18 months. Um, yeah. And sort of started to take one foot out by going part time. And that's something I really encourage people to do is to not just kind of jump ship like that. Yeah. Um, test the water, build your experience, try a few different things with the safety net of your main employee, particularly now. You know, it's not, not a great economy to be, to yeah. be looking to work in. So if you've got secure employment, don't, don't risk that too soon yeah. um, and, and make that step until I could find what I really wanted to do. Um, and what that ultimately led to be doing was moving to New Zealand for a while because that's where my family live. And that's what I thought. That's why I thought that was the end of the journey was get your, yeah. your portfolio off you go, go and be with yeah. family. Um, and, and well, then what you get bored yeah. basically what happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think you and I met at, at pretty much that point. I think you must've just achieved that. And I think um, shortly after we met, you, you did head off over to New Zealand and there was me thinking uh, he's living the dream here. This is, this is fantastic. And then what was it a year later, you were back again, I think. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was it was kind of at that point. That was my goal. That was what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I'd sort of, you'd sort of achieved it. I mean, it's not you're not li- it's not life changing, and you're not yeah. talking like millions and millions of pounds worth of property. You, I mean, we maybe had I don't know ten to twelve properties at that point in time, a few buy to lets, a few kind of HMOs at that point in time, um, and it was comfortable enough for us to kind of do that and uh, yeah. and, and see where it goes. Um, my wife got pregnant. And uh, we were over there on short stay visas and we had to return home 
to the security of the NHS, basically, uh, yeah. which was just one of those things. Uh, and at the time, we actually, when I would have met you, Mark, I would have, we would have just been scoping out this business here, Cornerstone, because okay. we, we kind of came up with the initial concept and had the initial conversations with, with a local authority around, you know, what do you do with homelessness households? Do you have any private sector leasing schemes? We were doing that about three months before I left. And that was in 2015, 16. And we didn't start our first project until 2018 in February. So you're talking a good 18 months of just exploring business planning. I mean, I was out of the country a lot, so we were doing a lot of it remotely. But it was a good 18 months before we kind of secured anything tangible to be able to go on. Uh, and so it felt good to come back. It felt right because I'd found a new thing that I could play with. And um, yeah. I've been back to New Zealand maybe three or four times since then. Yeah. So I'll just go for kind of longer holidays now, really. Yeah. That oh, sounds fantastic. So what I, I'm really interested in what it was that, that changed. So um, I, I'm lucky enough to talk to a lot of people who are just getting started in property. And as you know, we, we encourage people to be really clear on their motivation, on their, on their why and, uh, and what it is that's driving them. And it, it always amazes me that actually, you know, we joke about sports cars and you know, fancy holidays, and all, but, but, Quite often it isn't that, you know, and a lot of people are getting into it. Um, your family's obviously a big motivator, but but to do good and to leave a legacy. And I know when you and I spoke briefly before the episode, you mentioned about one of your drivers is to invest in environmental projects. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you'd be prepared to just share a bit on that and where your where your thoughts process is on, on that front as well. Yeah, it's it's something I I but more recently have come to believe in. And I think once you start to go down that path of, I'm go I have a decision to make here and there's two decisions. There's a decision for you or there's the decision for you and does something positive. Yeah. And once you start to get that philosophy, it applies everywhere. Yeah. So you start looking at the food you eat. So I'm, I've been a vegetarian now for four months. My business partner, Gavin, has been a vegan for two years. My wife's been a vegan for two years. And you start, you start to get a different environment around you and you think, hang on, we can do both here. We can get what we need and we can do something. Yeah. Uh, and so the environment is another one. I'm a mad recycler, like a mad recycler. <laughs> on a Sunday morning, I'm squashing everything into tiny little <laughs> and putting it in the parcels, uh, switching lights off like they're going out of fashion, all the normal stuff that, that dad's paying bills will do. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I start, you start thinking about, well, you're running a business now. And I think as of today, there's about 136, 137 properties we've got under Cornerstone. And that's, that's about 700 beds when you take it from one bed flats to 20 bedroom buildings, which we've got. And um, you look at the environmental footprint of your business and you go, crikey, if I'm going to run this business for 20 years, it's going to employ 20 people. It's going to house tens of thousands over that time. What do you want your legacy to be? Now, you'll have a really good social legacy. But on this side, there's that niggling bit in the back of your head that's going, yeah, but there's all these other bits that could have been good as well. Yeah. Um, so we have um, environmental vehicles in the business. We only have environmental cars. Okay. Obviously, there's a financial, financial element around taxation benefits that you get for that. But equally, if you can make that decision and it's good for the environment, yeah. why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. Um, so, so we're quite, quite keen on that. Um, so on the affordable housing development side, um, we're looking to incorporate a lot of those environmental technologies into social housing. Right. So modern methods of construction is something we've been looking at quite seriously. How can yeah. you kind of reduce your environmental supply chain footprint? and equally deliver a good quality social housing project. What, why does it have to be the conventional style of building just to bring the house in under budget? Why don't, we can, why don't we flip it on its head a bit and work the financial model so we can get the best quality product for the lowest possible price? Um, that might give you a hint as to who we used to work for as a retailer. Yeah. <laughs> um, lowest possible price, best yeah. quality product. And uh, we're not doing anything different really in the property sector. Okay. 
Yeah, no, that's fascinating. So who would you say has been your biggest inspiration on your property journey? Um, what do other people say? <laughs> How do you say that again? What do other people say normally to that question? Because I've got one, but I feel like it's a bit cheesy. But No, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's fascinating that everybody is is different. So, you know, uh, I, I know you mentioned your business partner and uh, there are people that you align with from a from a value point of view. Um, yeah. Quite often it's, uh, it's a family member, maybe a child or, or something like that, that is your that sits on your shoulder as that kind of driving force. So I, I'm just always fascinated to, to understand what yeah. it is or even who it is that motivates you and inspires you to, 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 you know, to work as hard as you are and to keep pushing things forward. I think there's, there, it, I'd written down in, in advance a family member. I'd written my dad down. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I wondered if that was a bit cliche because I thought I bet loads of people do that. No. Um, but he was my best man at my wedding. And um, yeah. I do have other friends, but he was my best man. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was for those, for those reasons, hard, hard worker. <clears throat> I can remember. So, so we're in property. So we know a little bit about what that involves. Yeah. Um, but I can remember when I was born, my dad was 27. He was a, a basically a full-time bodybuilder. He was working as a bricklayer and built our family home at the same time and took one day off in nearly two years, you know, and I remember mum saying was working like 15, 16 hours a day. And I always used to hear people working, like people would go, oh, I work 60, 70 hours a week. And I think you don't work. 60. People don't work 60, 70 <laughs> hours a week. They don't do that. They might spend that time in front of a computer, but they're not, yeah. no, no one's working that. And I think, I think he actually was like, because <laughs> I don't yeah. think you physically could fit all of that in without doing that. So I think I've picked a lot of that up around the hard work, the value system, the resilience, all that kind of bits and pieces. And that just gets built into you. So yeah. That's um, that's a big inspiration. But if I had to pick somebody that was maybe a bit more businessy sector at the minute, I am fascinated by by Elon Musk. Okay, yeah, a lot of people are, and I just yeah. think that like, have you seen? Did you see the story of the weekend that apparently he's selling off all of his property in the yes, US? Yes, I saw that. Yeah, and he's moving it. moving to Texas and selling yeah. everything up in LA. Why is he doing that? And I, the only thing I can twin it to, because I've rented for a long time. We're only yeah. just actually looking to buy a house now because of the stamp duty move, but we've been renting for three years. Yeah. And, I, and I, I kind of thought, am I a little mini Elon Musk? Because I do that so that I don't have the responsibilities <laughs> of ownership. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's what he's doing. He doesn't want the attachment to objects. Yeah, he had a goal, didn't he, to not own any property in X amount of time, I think. Yeah. It's, it's not something you want us to talk about. Yeah. I right? <laughs> thought that as soon as I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, but it's a, it's a way of thinking. Yeah. And I, I just tune into this and I think that guy is an absolute visionary. He is next level stuff. And I don't know if you've seen the documentary. I think it's on Disney Plus, but there's a documentary about him and, and, uh, and SpaceX and how like 65 or 70% of their rockets crash and explode. And, um, and, and they, they just celebrate it every time. They love it. And they, and they, they just want to launch the next one. And it's just... You sit there with your mouth open. You think, like, what? What? What kind yeah. of level of thinking is that? Yeah. Um, it's, and I think if you can apply that level of thinking, if I can, I'm not saying nowhere near we compare yeah. ourselves to Elon Musk, but yeah. what if what if you could take just one percent of those principles and apply it to a very traditional property homelessness market? Yeah. What, what could it be like? And I do feel yeah. like what we represent to to the local authorities and the charities in our region is that little bit of edginess, that little bit of creativity that's just prepared to flip something upside down a little bit and have a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that Elon Musk example, that, that speaks a lot to the culture that he's been able to create that, that idea of, you know, we talk about it even within kind of uh, property kind of negotiating circles, side of go for no and, yeah. and, and your, your relationship with failure. 
Yeah. Um, and and it's 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 fascinating, isn't it, that that people operating at that level just seem to have a completely different relationship with rejection and failure. Yeah, yeah. And it just puts into context your own environment. Sometimes that's what's good because you, you'll you'll have hard days. Property will be tough. Your life will be tough. If you're into social housing like we are, you're going to get case studies and stories and situations that are tough to listen to and tough to make decisions on. And you just sometimes need a a, a level of a level above you that you look to and go, okay, let's just put this into perspective. Let's rationalize it. You know, it's not that bad. You know, yeah. we can find a way out of this. It is manageable. Yeah. And I think you need to have that level of kind of psychological resilience to be able to, to move a business through like that, particularly at the moment. So if you had to start all over again, yeah. so knowing what you know now, if you had to start all over again, what's the one thing that you would do differently? <laughs> um, I don't, I don't, think i'd do much differently okay uh-huh, that's fair enough but i think and i think because you i just always look at i'm not really that interested in looking back too much yeah um, i'm a forward thinker yeah and um, i've always profiled as a bit of a very positive very optimist and if yeah. i'm in a good place right now then everything i've done up to now has probably been all right yeah, yeah. and there'll be things that you wish could have gone differently but who knows where they would have put you today and at the moment talking Good to point. you be happy yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to say I'd do nothing differently. I was lucky that I managed to, I think I got into property or that opportunity to get some time back at exactly the right time. And I'm always very fortunate for that Yeah. Um, because a lot of things happen personally. And if I hadn't had the, the breathing space from a financial or a time perspective to be able to divert my attention to those, I would have massively regretted that. Yeah. Um, might not be property for some people, but just that control, yeah. um, you know, you're going to need that at some point in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. So what's the one piece of advice that you'd give to somebody then that's just starting out in property? Yep. Um, don't rush it. Okay. Um, I am naturally a bit of a bit of a go-getter, um, but I was very, very thoughtful around my journey. If I look back at all the deals I've done, if I look back at all the decisions we've taken, um, there might be a lot of um, responsiveness to them, but they were thought out. I could, I could justify everyone. I could explain everyone. I thought through everyone. So just be patient. Um, due diligence is a big one. You probably get that a lot, particularly at the minute. I think when when I was I was coming through, and probably when you were coming through as well, um, that that property education market, the industry, the landlord sector, it's totally morphed into something which just looks a bit ugly sometimes. Yeah. And and massive due diligence. You've got to be so careful. Um, yeah. and I can talk about that now from the position where we're working directly with local government, directly with large charities. And uh, if you want to get to a level where you're going to grow a proper, sustainable, s- substantial business and have a big impact, you need to be clean. You need to be clean and you need to know who you're working with and you need to know you're doing the right things with the right people. Yeah. I think that's an important one. Yeah. Um, a bit on the patience bit as well. Um, don't <laughs> lots, On that journey, too many people kind of jump too soon, I think. Um, round, yeah. off, round off your skills. Yeah. If you, are, if you are in a well-paid job at the minute that offers you the opportunity to diversify your skill set, um, take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. Move to a different department, move to a different sector, try a different role, round off the skill sets that you're not so good at. Because if you're going to be in property in a big way, you need to be kind of utilitarian. You've got to be able to do a lot of things. Yeah. And I think having that emotional intelligence to go, I'm not very good at that, but I've got an opportunity within a paid role of employment to get better at that before I jump then, then be patient and get the skills because you'll go much, much faster if you're ready than if you yeah. jump too soon and make a mistake. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. We spoke to Gary Wales uh, a few episodes ago on the podcast who has a professional football background and uh, and he was talking a lot about transferable skills, um, the same sort of thing, the kind of mindset, the discipline, uh, the skills that you learn as, as an elite athlete uh, mm. and what transfers across from that into, um, I guess, a different discipline, but still a high performance area of your life, as it were. So I'm yep. always fascinated by that, that idea of transferable skills. So I think that that does put a different spin on it. You know, for a lot of people, quitting the day job or, you know, financial security is, and in a lot of cases, understandably, their sort of their first goal. But that's, that's an, another nice way of just putting a bit of a balanced view on that to say, well, actually, just, just understand the skills that you're developing, you know, within the other aspects of your life that could, could really help to elevate your 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 property investment journey yeah and your point there mark about like people wanted to quit their jobs um I, I don't think i wanted to quit my job i wanted to just get some element of control back but what i'm really committed to now is putting jobs back in yeah <laughs> and that's the thing like because if you think about it if we became a nation of of, of self-employed property who's gonna <laughs> who's gonna do all of the work like we can't you just can't work like that so, so it's, it's that shifting that mindset from become a, become a property investor, sort your portfolio out, maybe get yourself into a position where you can, you can reach your kind of ambitions and then do something bigger and, yeah. then, and then go and create 50 jobs and then go and build something for somebody. Find something that's going to put back in what kind of you might have been taking out. So you can have that short period of selfishness where you've got to take, 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 and you've got to get yeah. yourself to a position where you can give back 10 times. Yeah. And I think if you're not, if you're not working towards that, I just think you need to have that to be fulfilled yeah. and to have some sort of drive that something's going back in. Yeah, such a great message. So what's next for you? We've got a lot, we, well, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it's exciting stuff. I mean, we talk, I think we're talking this, well, just before we switched on around, you have that Christmas break and you kind of reflect and you go, am I really doing what I want to do? And then you have that first day back in the office and it's a, it's a temperature check. You're either, you're red hot and you go, this is perfect. Or you go, actually, this isn't what I want to do. And this morning was a great morning. And we kind of got the next six months out yeah. on the whiteboard and thought this looks great. Yeah. Um, so we've got, we've got a kind of a, a committed target of, of a thousand properties um, to wow. deliver by 2030. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're doing about a house a week at the moment and have been for the last two years, but we need to start upping that in terms of our delivery volume. Yeah. Um, remember watching the documentary earlier in the year about Bill Gates and he was talking about how to so kind of solve third world sanitation. And he said, um, if you want to make a dent, uh, if you want to make a, a difference, basically, in a dent in a problem, you need to have a wholesale solution yeah. on a problem that big. And homelessness is a massive problem. Um, yeah. So a thousand homes sounds like a lot. You know, it's, it's a drop in the ocean. Drop in the ocean. So, yeah. so it should be achievable for us. We've got to focus on that. Um, how we'll do that is getting into, into builds and conversions and developments. And that will start this year with the first large one that we're doing, which will be quite exciting. Uh, and we'll be doing more of that. Um, incorporating the environmental side that's a big thing for us because yeah. it's the time to do that and we should be doing that before you know the market moves on and all of a sudden you're catching up um, and then we're getting into more financial fund management um, which i can't talk too much about but there's yeah. an interesting financial sector um, okay. that i've been learning about over the last sort of two years that moves beyond mortgages right. uh, and these are kind of institutional type pension funds SaaS funds investment funds yeah. it's a really exciting place to look at exploring kind of that wholesale finance to deliver wholesale projects yeah um, but something we're looking to move into this year with the development of an investment fund and hopefully that's something we can talk more about as it kind of uh, kind of develops fascinating Dean, thank you so much. That's been absolutely brilliant to listen to. And I know, I know our listeners will have found that so refreshing to, 
um, to listen to somebody, to hear your journey, someone who who started out from, if you don't mind me saying, modest beginnings uh, and was able to obviously um, grow a legacy for themselves, but in so doing then, um, uh, you know, really start doing some significant good within the community. And I know so many people are that way inclined and, and want to be able to do the same sort of thing with with, with their sort of property adventures. So um, I, I know everyone's going to take so much away from that. Um, so thank you so much for that. If, if people did want to get in touch with you or, or track your progress and, and see what you're up to over at Cornerstone Partnership, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, so we're, we're, we're really active on social media. So Cornerstone Partnership um, social Enterprise is, is active on social media. Um, most of the guys are pretty active on LinkedIn, including myself. So more than welcome to connect connect with me via that if I can help um, with any of those bits that you, you, you kindly mentioned then. Um, maybe people are just looking for a refocus or they kind of want to mirror that. We talk about doing a thousand homes. If we could help a hundred people do a hundred thousand homes, that would be great. So um, we don't have a service for that, but I'm yeah. always open ears to kind of helping people and guiding people. So if anybody anybody wants that, they know where to, know where to find me. Perfect. Dean, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. I think you'll agree that was such an inspiring episode. I really enjoyed talking to Dean and it's certainly given me pause for thought about some of the ways that we can be making even more of a positive impact on our communities and our environment through the investments that we're making in property. I'm lucky enough to speak to lots of different property investors on a regular basis from people who are just starting out to more seasoned investors. And you know what? The vast majority of them are not driven by the idea of fancy cars and expensive holidays. I've met so many fantastic people on my journey who genuinely do want to make a difference. Yes, they want to build a legacy for their family and they want to invest in their financial security and and, and a future for their loved ones. But ultimately, they do genuinely want to help people and make a difference. And I think Dean has just shown us a really good example there of how property can be a fantastic vehicle to help us achieve that. If you want to check in with myself, with Dean and all of our previous podcast guests and and a whole load of other great people actively investing in property in the UK, why not head over to the Property Wealth System community page on Facebook? We'd love to see you there. We're a like-minded bunch. We're always happy to welcome new people and we're we're sharing support and best practice uh, wherever you're at on your, your own property journey. So go ahead and look us up on Facebook. And most importantly, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be the first to know when we release new interviews, panel shows and bonus content. I'll catch you on the next episode.